0: never get tired, though I, I've said it a thousand times before just to remind us songs like that is, is what the gospel are all about. Uh, the line in there that says to, to look on him and pardon me. That's that's the gospel. The gospel is at the heart of it, a substitution in which uh, Christ, God pours out his wrath against our sins on Christ on the cross so that so that we might be saved and have eternal life. This morning if you would uh, turn to Revelation chapter 2 Revelation chapter 2 and we're going to begin reading at verse number 18 Continuing our series to, uh, on the letters to, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation And uh, just a reminder if you haven't been here or uh, Maybe you've forgotten that, that these letters were written to seven real churches In Asia Minor in the uh, New Testament time there were churches that were struggling in, in various ways. And so these letters are written from, from Christ to his church. And in some ways he's calling them to repentance and sometimes he's seeking to encourage them as they struggle. Uh, but what we've seen is that these letters apply to us because the things that these churches are dealing with are the same things that Union Baptist Church struggles with. It's the same things that churches throughout time and history have dealt with. And so let's look this morning at uh, the, the letter to the church at Thyatira, Revelation chapter two and verse number 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. the churches. As we begin this morning, I want to ask you to consider uh, a simple question. How how do you decide how do you decide which Bible teachers you will listen to and read? How do you decide which spiritual guides you will allow to influence your life? When you walk into uh, the Christian bookstore and see uh, the shelf of best-selling authors, Christian authors, how do you uh, decide which books you will buy and which ones you will pass by? When you're scrolling through Facebook and someone has posted a video clip of a famous preacher, what, what grid do you use uh, to discern whether they are speaking truth or not? When you go to iTunes and you look for a podcast, how do, how do you make that choice? Which ones are worthy of listening to and which ones are harmful or dangerous? When you turn on K Love, do you weigh what they're saying uh, on, on the radio? Uh, or do you simply take it in just because, well, it's Christian radio after all? In the case that. Uh, sometime in the future, though, though I have no plans to go anywhere, you, you might be looking for uh, a, a pastor. What, what do you use to decide uh, what, what you like about this pastor and what you don't like in choosing a pastor as, as a church? What, what do you what do you gauge that by? Or perhaps if you're looking for a church, what is it that you're looking for? Uh, in, in a church, do you weigh what that pastor says and what they teach and what that church teaches? Is that, is that a central factor in what you're using to decide what church to attend and what pastor to, to call? Does that factor heavily into your deci- decision? And if it does, then what basis do you use to judge that preaching? Preaching. Uh, is is it simply well he tells a lot of funny stories he's a a good speaker he's engaging he he keeps our interest and daggone it he's such a nice guy Uh, I just really like him is is that is that the extent of what you use to determine what preachers you listen to and not let me let me just give you a little bit of a a syllogism here Uh, that's a if if a is true and b is true then c is true as we look to this text i think this is th- these are the assumptions that we find in this text number 1 uh, that the teachers that we listen to influence what we b- believe and the way that we live i think we could all agree with that the, the teachers that we listen to and, and I don't just mean listen to with, with cautiousness or uh, in, in a way that's discerning, but, but the teachers that we, that we allow to uh, enter into our hearts and into our mind, they, they influence the way that we think, and then consequently the way that we think influences the way that we live as well. The teachers we listen to influence what we believe and the way that we live. Number two, what we believe and the way that we live determine our eternal destiny what we believe and the way that we live determines our eternal destiny therefore then the, the conclusion of this would be the teachers that we listen to and allow to influence us in part determine our eternal destiny that's an important thing to think about then. We ought, to be, we ought to be discerning. We ought to be careful. We ought to be uh, those people who, who listen with, with careful ears to what we are being taught. Does this match up to the Word of God? Is this... Is this truth according to God's Word? Or, or is this some version of, of false teaching that's wrapped in a, a, a nice story here and a good illustration there and a winsome personality and I'm, I'm just receiving a lie. I'm receiving something that's untrue because it's easy to listen to. Listen, let me give you an observation now. Christians in our day and time, I think, tend to lack tend to lack any serious level of discernment. Christians in our day and time tend to lack any level of, of serious discernment when it comes to teaching. I, I think this comes, first of all, on a failure of, of individual Christians. It's, it's a failure on their part because oftentimes they have put the value of truth at a very low level. And and oftentimes what we're looking for uh, as individual Christians is some kind of emotional experience. How did I feel? Did I connect with the preacher? Was it was it moving in an emotional kind of way? And we look for that instead of listening with discerning ears to say, look, is that what the word of God really says? Is this is this the truth? People are more interested in religious experiences than in the truth in, in our day. Christians tend to ask, how does this make me feel rather than is this biblically true? And that's upside down. I, I think sometimes the truth doesn't make us feel good at all, but we ought to believe it because it's the truth. This is not only a failure, though, of individual Christians, it's a failure on the part of the church and, and of pastors, unfortunately, who, who have pandered to that sort of emotional desire to want to uh, kind of want to have an emotional experience. And so churches and pastors say, well, that's what the people want. That's what they're looking for. And so churches gauge towards that. And that's why we have churches that, that are just a, a big production. There's lights and smoke and mirrors. And, 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 and this is what it's all about. We want people to walk away with, with this feeling And so often, unfortunately, that's not accompanied with the truth or it's accompanied with very shallow truth. Churches have pandered to that kind of sentiment. The net result of all of this, of individual Christians and churches pandering to that, is that many professing believers have an anemic view or understanding of of the Bible. It's an anemic understanding of the Bible. They don't even understand what the truth is. They haven't been properly taught and as a result of that discernment is almost non-existent so people turn on the radio or they go into the bookstore or they're listening to a podcast or whatever it is and they're hearing things and they have no way to discern is this truth or not well he's a pastor he's claiming to be a christian he's got a bible and he's speaking things about jesus and about god so he must be good right wrong right the bible is clear that there are all kinds of false teachers who are saying things that look as if they may be true, but they're false. They're not true at all. The Bible warns us that, that Satan will come at times as an angel of light. Satan comes many times in the form of preachers and pastors who are saying things that, that almost sound true, but are not true. What we believe and the way that we live in part, determines our it determines our eternal destiny. So we've got to be guarded, and we've got to be careful about and discern the things that we are listening to. That was a long introduction, but I think that helps get to the heart of what's going on in in this church at Thyatira. In this text, we see a church who is lacking discernment and is failing to take decisive action against a false teacher because they don't have that. Discernment. The main point of this passage is that the church must guard itself from the danger of God's judgment by not tolerating false teachers. The church must guard itself from the danger of God's judgment, which is what is online on the line here. This is what is at stake. God's judgment. We must guard ourselves against that by not tolerating false teachers. Now, as we're talking about this, I just want to make clear. Um, that we're not just talking about, you know, within Christianity, there are different views on certain doctrines and certain teachings like baptism and things like that. Those are important doctrines, important teaching, teachings. Uh, but but we would recognize, you know, there, there are some brothers and sisters. I was just at a conference this week in, in which there were uh, people of different denominations and they're, they're preaching. And we would have some, some serious disagreement over things like like baptism. They would say, well, uh, they, they feel comfortable with sprinkling babies and and that's part of uh what they understand scripture to teach. I would say no. Baptism is for believers and for people who have a credible profession of faith. And so there's a disagreement there, but but I would not call them false teachers, right? When the Bible talks about false teachers, it's talking about someone who has uh twisted the the heart and the message of Christianity. Someone who is preaching a false gospel. In other words, if, if you fall under the sway of a false teacher, you're believing something uh, that is taking you away from the heart of Christianity, from the gospel. And so that's what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about somebody that's a different denomination that has a different view on this doctrine or, or that doctrine. So let's look at this church and let's see, uh, I think, uh, what, what's going on here. Uh, we see, first of all, about this church in Thyatira, that this church has several commendable attributes. They have several commendable attributes. You, you look at verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, your faith and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And so we see, first of all, that this, this church is excelling in some important Christian virtues. He says here, I know your faith and your love. Uh, This is this is this is important stuff here, right? These these virtues, faith and love, these are essential. These are at the heart of Christianity. Jesus teaches us that that love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is is central to all that we do in obedience to God. This is enough. This is a foundational Christian virtue. And he says of this church, I know your love and that you are excelling in this work. So they so they have love and And they're growing in their love. They have faith. The Bible teaches that we're saved by faith. We're saved by the grace of God through believing, through having faith in Jesus Christ. So again, here, another foundational Christian virtue. He says, I know your faith and your love and you're excelling. Their their faith is growing. Their love is growing. Not only that, they're excelling in their service for the Lord. Look again at verse 19. And I know your service. I know the work That You're doing this church was excelling was growing in the ministry in the work that they're doing for the Lord. We could imagine that this church is very busy in ministry. Perhaps they have programs to help the poor to send out missionaries to train children and so on and he says look I know that I know that about you and I know that you're excelling in that that the latter works the works that you're doing now are even greater than the works that you started with you're growing in your service. They're also growing in their perseverance, he says. In uh, verse 19, once again, in, in your patient endurance. This world that they lived in, as we've seen with the other church, was not, this was not an easy world to be a Christian in. And he said, look, you, you've been enduring. And so they're, they're, they're growing even in their endurance. They're not walking away from the faith. They have many commendable attributes. If we were to stop right there, and we were to talk about this church, we would say, well, what a great church. They're a loving church. They're a faithful church. They're, they're enduring. They're going through all the difficult stuff that comes along with being a Christian. They're, they're growing. They're excelling in those things. And if we were to put it, a period there, be, what a great church. But what, what we see next, not only did they have some commendable attribute, attributes, but they had one condemnable attribute. They have one condemnable attribute attribute. And that's what we'll focus on this morning. Look at verse 20. They are tolerating a false teacher. It says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now this this is, we find in the book of Revelation, uh, oftentimes there's imagery that's used from the Old Testament. So this false teacher is a woman. Her name uh, is likely not Jezebel. Uh, but Jezebel, if you know your Bible, comes from the Old Testament. Jezebel was a wicked queen. She was the queen who was married to Ahab in the Old Testament. And the thing that we know about Jezebel is that she was a foreigner, which, which God's people had been warned not to take Uh, wives from the nations and the the purpose of that was because they worshiped other gods and god didn't want his people mixing and intermarrying with that because it would bring the worship of those other gods into the nation well the people did that all the time and and here we have even a king of israel who is doing that and and uh it's not just bad enough though uh that she is coming in and 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 she's worshiping other gods But Jezebel was a particularly wicked woman. She wanted to spread this worship all throughout Israel. So she wasn't just content that she was worshiping these foreign gods, that she was worshiping idols. She wanted to make Israel a place where where these idols were worshipped. She was wicked. So what we have is someone who is not part of God's people. She's she's a foreigner. She's an outsider coming in and attaching herself to God's people and then teaching God's people to worship other gods. She's spreading her influence to others. And that's what's going on here in the church of Thyatira. That's why Jesus refers to this woman as Jezebel, not because that was her name, but, but because that's what she's doing. She's entered into the church. She's not part of God's people. She is not one of Christ's true followers. And she's coming in and she's not content to practice the sexual immorality and all of these these things herself uh, that were accompanied in, in Roman pagan tradition. But she's set herself up as a teacher. She calls herself a prophetess. And she's not only doing it herself, but she's spreading her influence to those in the church and saying, Look, you can do this. It's the same teaching that we've seen other places in other uh, in other of these churches. Uh, The teaching is what is referred to in another church as the teaching of Balaam. Do you remember that? Remember talking about that? This, This was the teaching that you can be a follower of Christ and you can still go to the pagan temples. In the cities that you live in and you can still participate in the worship of those gods. You can eat the feasts at those temples and participate in that. You can even participate in the sexual immorality that goes along with, with all of this, the worship of the, the cult practices of these gods. You can do all of that and still be a Christian. You don't have to come out of the world. You don't have to separate yourself from the world. You don't have to live a holy life. You, because of God's grace, is is so great. You can just continue in your sin and call yourself a Christian and everything will be okay. That was the teaching that's going on here. And that's what this woman, this Jezebel, is, is teaching the people of uh, of this church in Thyatira. Now we've seen other churches. We, we've seen other churches. Uh, where for instance in Pergamum. It said that, that they had some people. Who held to this teaching. You remember Pergamum. That, that was the issue. Uh, Jesus says I have this against you. That you have some there. Who hold this teaching. So they had members of that church. Who, who that was kind of their personal. Uh, belief that they could do this thing but now this is a step even worse than that because they're saying about this church in Thyatira not only do you have some people there who practice this some people who are members but you have a woman who has raised herself to the level of a teacher in this church she's leading a Sunday school class or maybe she's speaking at church sometimes and she's teaching people that it's okay you have someone who's actually teaching this doctrine from the pulpit she's a False teacher who's telling everybody, it's not, she's not only content to do it herself, but she's telling other people, you can do this too. I'm a teacher. And uh, the thing about this woman is that uh, evidently she had some influence and some sway. Perhaps she was very gifted in, in her teaching. Maybe there was something about her personality that made her attractive. Of course, it, it wouldn't take much, right? Uh, it, it wouldn't take much to, to attract people with this kind of doctrine. Right, because living the Christian life and being faithful to the Lord is something that comes with great difficulty, right? It's hard to walk away from the world. It's hard to walk away from the culture that, we, that we're knee deep in, that we, we breathe the air of this culture and, and we live this way. It's just part of, of who we are. It's part of the way that we have been raised. It's difficult to detach ourselves from that and to walk faithfully to the Lord. It's difficult because the Bible teaches that sin is indwelling within us. And so our own flesh at times is is drawing us away from the Lord. And so what an attractive teaching then for somebody to get up and to say, it's okay, just give in. Just go ahead and continue to do what you've been doing because God's grace is so wonderful. No matter how deep you get in your sin, no matter how far you go, God's grace is there. And you see, isn't that just a distortion of the truth, right? Because it is absolutely true that God's grace meets us wherever we are and that God is gracious and forgiving and that Christ's blood atones for all of our sin. But the apostle Paul teaches us, right, that if we adopt a mentality that says, well, because God's grace is so wonderful, I can continue to sin so that God's grace will abound. Then Paul says we've misunderstood what the gospel is all about. About. That's what's going on with, with this woman. And that's what's going on here. When it talks about sexual immorality and adultery, those who commit adultery with her, there's, there's two ways that we could take that and understand it. One is, is a literal way, and perhaps that's true. Uh, but, but another way is we could understand from the Old Testament that, that any time that we mix our Christianity and following the Lord with, with other beliefs and other uh, religions—it was pictured in the Old Testament as as adultery. We're supposed to be God's people. We're we're God's bride, and 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 so uh, when when we are unfaithful to Him, it's pictured in the Old Testament as adultery. So perhaps that's what that's what's being said here. You know, you're mixing this religion, Christianity, with with these other false religions and so you're committing adultery. But of course we know in Roman practice uh, that it very often was the case that literally sexual immorality was involved in the worship of these other gods. And so it could quite likely be uh, that they were literally practicing sexual immorality and, and adultery. Well, how can a church get to that place? How, how can we accept some, some kind of teaching like this? How could anyone Uh, except that i think there's a couple couple ways and maybe more than a couple but there are a couple very easy ways. one is that we simply ignore the word of god we ignore, ignore the authority of god's word over our life that's what many people do right we we just say we take kind of the bits and pieces out of scripture that we like and and we kind of make them into a principle and say well i'm living by this but then we ignore the vast majority of scripture and what it teaches And that's what so often false teachers do. Another thing is to emphasize grace, as we've seen, to the point of minimizing sin. Well, God's grace is so great. It doesn't matter what you do. Just go on and continue to live and God's grace will be there. But as we've seen, Romans 6 teaches that that is not the case. But notice the true issue that's going on in in this church. We see in verse 20. I have this against you. What we notice in this passage is that, that Christ kind of separates this church out, doesn't he? He kind of separates this woman, this Jezebel, this false teacher from the rest of the church. And he speaks and his comments are directed to those who truly are his followers, to those who are the true church. He says, I have this against you, that you, the true church, my people, are tolerating Jezebel, You're tolerating, you're allowing this, this false teacher to, to go on. That word tolerate means to, to allow something, uh, but it has the idea sometimes of, of allowing something that maybe you have some reservation about. Like, I kind of know this is wrong, this isn't good, but I'm going to let it slide, I'm going to let it go. So when Jesus comes to John uh, and, and wants to be baptized, uh, John at first kind of says, Lord, I can't baptize you. You're you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. I I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus responds to John and he says, John, let it be so. That's the same word here. Tolerate it, John, so that I may fulfill righteousness. And then it goes on in Matthew 3.15. And it says, in in my version, it says, then he consented. And there's that same word to to tolerate. I'm going to allow this. John didn't understand John had some reservations about baptizing the Messiah. How can I baptize Jesus? But because Jesus insisted on it, he he consented to do it. That's what this church is, is doing here. They're tolerating. They've got some reservations. Those who are truly followers of Christ, those who are part of the true church of Jesus Christ, they know this probably isn't a good thing. That we have this woman who's teaching and she's telling everybody to go ahead and go to the temple and to practice sexual immorality and to mix it probably not a good thing for us to do but we just don't want to be so unloving do we we don't want to be rigid and harsh and critical you know so many christians uh, we, we know that they're really too strict and they're kind of ugly in the way that they deal with things and so we're going to just tolerate this, this woman, even though we've got some reservations about it. And Jesus says to this church, that's what I have against you. That's your problem. You are tolerating this false teacher. You're allowing her to, to go on. And notice, notice here uh, what I think is interesting. Uh, this church at Thyatira, Jesus says to them, yeah, I know your love and you're excelling in this. And yet, in that love, they they have probably gone too far in that they're tolerating this woman. Think about Ephesus. You remember the church at Ephesus? What does Jesus commend about that church? Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, look, I know your works. And when he commends them, he says, you have weighed those who have said that they were apostles and are not. You've weighed them and you cannot stand The teaching of the Nicolaitans, which is the same doctrine, I believe, that that is being dealt with here. And so he commends the church at Ephesus because they've been very rigid and very strict in the teachers that they receive and don't receive. They've, They've weighed, they've listened with careful ears. They've practiced the kind of discernment that Thyatira has not. And yet, what is the condemnation and what is the criticism of the church at Ephesus? But this is what I have against you, Ephesus, that you've left your first love. You're so strict and precise about the truth and which teachers you will receive and which ones you won't. And yet you're not loving. Thy retire. You're loving. You're growing in love. And and yet you're not being discerning. You're allowing. You're tolerating this, this false teacher. Well, I think there we see what is so difficult to balance, isn't it? It's difficult to balance being loving and kind and gracious with being serious and strict about the teachers that we, we listen to. Because the perception is if we're very rigid about saying, well, they're a false teacher, well, that just makes us unloving. And so sometimes, uh, and perhaps that's what's going on here in Thyatira, look, we just want to be a loving church. We don't, we don't want to be harsh and critical. We don't want to be the, like those fundamentalists at Ephesus who are so rigid We want to be a more accepting and loving church. But in doing that, they've gone too far, haven't they? Because they've allowed this woman to teach uh, things that are false and things that ultimately will bring about condemnation for those who listen. Notice, though, the, the negative results. This is why false teaching is so serious. Listen to the negative results. It says in verse 20, she is seducing the servants of Christ to do these things. That's why it's so serious. Because not only is she doing it, but she's leading other people to do it. And you can look at verse 22. I think this is interesting. Behold, I will throw, when he's talking about the judgment that he's going to bring, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation. But notice this phrase at the end of verse 22. Unless they repent, these people who are listening to her teaching, unless they repent of their works, is that what it says? Now it says unless they repent of her works. In other words, Jesus is, is indicating there that this woman is having an influence. The works that are being produced here by these people, the things that they're doing are really her works because she's the one who is teaching them that it's okay to do this. And in verse 23, we see that, that these people are called her children. John, when he writes his epistle of third John he says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the faith. Children are somebody who's, who, has, who have received the teaching of this teacher and are now walking in this way. And so these people are called her children. That's why it's, that's why it's horrible. That's why it's bad and why we cannot tolerate false teaching. Because like a cancerous tumor, it begins to spread. And and its tentacles begin to reach into the people of God. And people begin to believe things that are false. Things that will lead them away from the Lord. Things that will ultimately bring about their destruction. And that's the other thing that we need to notice here. Notice the devastating consequences of their failure to deal with this false teacher. Look at verse 22 once again. Verse number 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. People who receive her teaching and who begin to live it out and who fail to repent of that teaching will ultimately come into great tribulation. I think that's speaking of the discipline of the Lord. We talked about how God disciplines His children at times. And so people who are receiving this teaching are people who are headed For the discipline of the Lord. And ultimately, they're actually headed, if they fail to repent, even at his discipline, they're ultimately headed to the judgment of God. Look at verse 23 again. I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. The wages of sin is death. The death that is promised here is the judgment of God. This is serious. This is why it's it's so deadly serious that we are strict, that we are discerning about the teaching that we listen to because the teaching that we receive shapes the way that we think and the way that we live, the way that we think and believe and the way that we live ultimately determines our eternal destiny and so it's a deadly serious matter who we listen to. Church, we need to be a discerning church. We need to be a cautious church. Don't just turn on the TV and whoever's on on TV preaching just receive what they say because they're a teacher and because they're holding a Bible. Listen with discerning ears. Notice the response that's called for. It's it's a response in 22 of repentance for those who have been uh, taken in by this false teaching and for those who have not been influenced. It is a command for them to hold fast to what they have, which I think indicates that they are to deal with this false teacher. Now let me give us, I'm calling on us this morning to be a discerning church, right? To be discerning Christians. So let me give you a few principles as we close this morning uh, for ways in which we ought to be discerning. First of all, we need to understand that what we believe and consequently the way that we live matters to Jesus. Ultimately, accepting false teaching is potentially a damning thing. It's something that can bring the condemnation and the wrath of God. So this is this is a deadly serious important matter for us. It's not something that we can just... I'm not really into theology. I'm not really into Bible studies and all that. I just want to come in and hear worship music and and raise my hand. I want to be moved emotionally. No, we need to be engaged with our mind because it's a deadly, serious matter. Your eternal destiny could rest upon what you receive and what you believe. That's what we see in this passage, I think. Second, don't make the wrong assumption that to care about the truth means that either you're not concerned about loving people or that you don't care about doing ministry. This is a, a way that, that, that I see sometimes a, a bifurcation, a, a false dichotomy, two things that are not necessarily opposed to each other. Uh, people say, well... We're not really a church that focuses too much on doctrine. We're just we're just really interested in practical ministry, feeding the poor, helping the sick. We, we're focused on that. We're not a church that is really, you know, but we don't have to be either or, right? We can be both. We can be a church that feeds the poor, that is a loving church, that's doing all kinds of ministry and seeking to reach the community. And we can be a church that holds to Sound doctrine and that cares about the teaching that we receive. We need to understand that that we don't have to separate those two things. Just think about Jesus, right? Jesus is our example. Jesus was one who went about doing all kinds of good works, healing those who were sick, feeding, the, uh, feeding those who were hungry, caring for the poor. Jesus did all of those things, and yet Jesus was, was deadly serious about the teaching and Jesus went about teaching and preaching that was the in fact the main focus of of his ministry so we can do both in the early church we see a, a division arise in the early church because the apostles were were beginning to focus on practical ministries feeding the 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 widows and and they say look we can't take away from teaching the word so that we can do this but they don't say we're just not going to do that anymore right they appoint deacons who can then administer and care for the needs of of the widows because they understood we need to do both Jesus requires both Jesus did both the early church did both of these things so we don't need to divide those things as if they're opposed to each other third don't believe the lie that it's unloving to confront error it is not an unloving thing again we look to Christ don't we we look to Christ, and would any of us doubt that Christ himself was, was a loving person? I, I would say, I would dare say, I would hope that, that none of us would make that accusation, right? Jesus is the picture of love. And yet, we see Jesus being ruthless in his criticism of the Pharisees. He, he tells the Pharisees at one point, you are of your father the devil. Like, you're Satan's children. That's pretty harsh, And yet we understand that Jesus is loving. We see the Apostle Paul who who could be ruthless in his criticism of false teachers. And yet it's the same Paul that says, if I don't have love, I don't have anything. So it's not an unloving thing to stand and oppose false teachers. The, The two things should not be divided in that way. Fourth, don't be naive about the motives of false teachers. Don't be naive about the motives of false teachers. Notice in verse twenty-one here uh, that that uh, it says, "I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality." There's usually a reason that people teach what they teach, right? There's usually some underlying motive, and we need to understand that. Jesus warned the false teachers. Jesus warned that false teachers would be identified. By their works, by, by your fruit, by their fruit, you will know them. Teachers who, who say Jesus wants you to be rich and happy and healthy and all these things, usually themselves are seeking to make themselves rich. Teachers who say God doesn't care if you live in sin, go on, are usually people, individuals who want to continue to live in sin. Sometimes the motive uh, for teaching false doctrine and false teaching is is just simply wanting to exalt yourself. It's pride. It's wanting to to be able to stand up and have an audience to have a following. John warns about that in 3 John about Diotrephes. he says, was a false teacher. And he says he likes to put himself first. That's the motivation for him. He wants to have a place of preeminence. Or Paul warns about the false teachers in Galatians who say that they they want to shut you out from salvation. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They they want to be lifted up. There's pride there that is driving them. Fifth, don't, don't be deceived by the novelty of false teaching. Don't be deceived by the novelty of false teaching. You see in verse 24, he's, he refers to this false doctrine, and he says, it's, "It's something that some people have called the deep things of Satan." And uh, there, I think, is, is a pun a little bit is intended there. It's not that these things truly are deep, or that they really said that these things were the deep things of Satan, but, but they came, and this Jezebel came as someone who's saying, "Look, I've got some new teaching. It's a little bit deeper. Uh, it, it, God has revealed this to me. And uh, y'all, y'all have been believing this old teaching, but now I've got a new revelation. I've got something that's a little bit deeper. And people so often are just brought in by that hook, line, and sinker. Oh, it's something new. Wow, let, let me hear about this. That really is some deep teaching. That novelty effect is something that can attract us to false teaching. But remember what Jude tells us, right? Our job is not to come up with something Innovative to reinvent Christianity for our modern times, our job is is not to uh, to try to find something deeper that's never been discovered before. Our job is to believe Jude tells us the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. Our job as Christians is to hold to something that is true, something that it goes back all the way to the time of the apostles. So, churches, we. Wrap this up this morning. Let, let me just encourage us. Let, let us be a church that stands out. Let us be a church that is dif- different. Let us be a church that exercises discernment when it comes to teachers. Let us be a church that is loving and that is excelling in ministry to those in need. But let us also be a church that is fiercely devoted to the truth. Let us be those who are guarded when it comes to whom we allow to influence us and in what we believe, the way that we live. Let us be that kind of church. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray, Lord.